Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, where we share our opinions on hot topics relating to personal development, work, mindset, and expectations put on women. We also sometimes interview your favorite women influencers, founders, and corporate baddies and get the raw, uncut stories behind what they had to endure and grow through to become the version of themselves that we admire today. I'm your host, Donnie. And I'm Gabby. Now let's Let's get get wealthy. So today we're here with one of my amazing friends, and I'm super excited to talk to her. Her name is Alicia Scott, and she is the owner of Range Beauty. And I have been wanting to uh, interview her for a while, and we finally got her um, to... Look, she's a booked and busy person, okay? So (laughs) finally got on her calendar, and I cannot wait for her to share how she started Range Beauty, how she has grown it. I've seen her grow this company over the last few years, and it's just amazing to see what she's been able to accomplish with it. Um, But most of you guys probably have seen her recently on Shark Tank, and I cannot wait to discuss that (laughs) as well. So Alicia, welcome to the podcast. We are so happy to have you. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So, okay, so tell us, um, I want to start, like, let's go back in time, Uh, because I know, I know you've talked about this before, but for those that are just now finding you, I would love for you to talk about how you started this brand, because it was not called Range Beauty before, it was just a totally different brand, and you rebranded at a certain point to become Range Beauty, but where did you start? What was the starting point? Yeah, so I actually started, I didn't have any connection to beauty, no background in beauty. I didn't have a background in business. Uh, My whole life dedication was fashion. So I went to Virginia Tech for um, fashion design and merchandising. Post-graduation, moved to New York, and just, I worked as a bunch of designers' assistants, um, helping them put together runway shows, campaign shoots, eventually getting into sales at fashion showrooms. Um, But in each of these roles, I would be behind the scenes, making sure the clothing was fitting the model correctly, making sure everyone looked good. And that's when I started noticing a lot of the black models, whenever we would have black models, um, a lot of them were coming to set with their own makeup kits. And I finally was like, okay, why is it? Why are only y'all coming to set with your own makeup kits? And I asked the model, I put her to the side and just asked her, why are you coming with your own kit? And she let me know in a previous campaign, the makeup artist flat out said, I can't do the look the designer wants me to do because I have nothing in my kit for your skin tone. And she was a deeper skin model. And she was just telling me about this experience. And it resonated with me because it was the first time out loud I heard someone else basically share the same problem that I was having with the makeup industry. Um, So I, like, steered clear of makeup aisles. I was just like, I don't even know where to begin when it comes to finding something that matches my complexion because it doesn't look like there's anything that's even close to my skin tone. And then on top of that, I was also dealing with cystic acne and atopic eczema. And so I had to be really careful with what I was using on my skin. Um, so that was really like the aha moment, though, with her was just like, wow, there is this bigger issue outside of just the one that I'm facing. Like there are other people going through this. And that's when I had the idea of like, I want to create a makeup line that is actually taking care of your skin. I want to create a makeup line that doesn't have all these yucky ingredients that aren't great for sensitive skin, for acne prone and eczema prone, and replace it with actually like beneficial skincare ingredients. 
and I really want the tones, like the shade range, I want it to go as deep as possible. And so initially when I was going through coming up with names, I was thinking about like, oh, what are like freeing moments in life? When do you feel the most free in your skin? And so initially I came up with the name Skinny Dip and I named it S-K-N-Y Dip, like skin, skinny dip. Um, and I went through what I thought was like all the entire process to get your, you know, make sure you have your name. No one else is using it. And at the time when I looked, no one had anything close to that trademark. But I didn't know what it was I was building exactly. Like, I didn't know I was building a company, to be honest with you. I thought, okay, it's going to be like my side hustle until I get da -da -da going. Um, and so I got my EIN and I got my LLC, but I never trademarked it. And so this was back in 2014. I didn't end up launching until 2017. Again, in 2017, I still didn't check to see if anyone had trademarked it at this point. I was just like, okay, like we're good to go. Um, and so I launched originally May 2017 as Skinny Dip Cosmetics. And I think I was on market for two months before I received a cease and desist email from a company out of the UK called Skinny Dip London. And they started off as like they were a phone accessories company um, that was sold in like Topshop and stuff like that. And they eventually expanded into makeup. So they had a makeup line under Skinny Dip. Um, and so they were like, you're infringing on our trademark. And I'm just like, I didn't even know they could find companies as small as mine. Like, I didn't even know the entire process of when someone says you're infringing on your trademark, how that occurred. I just remember reading the email. And, you know, of course, it's very scary and threatening. Like, if you don't stop using the trademark, we can take you to court. You can face a fine of up to, like, $50,000. You know, all these yeah. scary things, obviously, to make sure that you stop using the name. And I was like, okay. That's done. I, I, that's fine. Um, and it was fine also because... When I first launched, I didn't know what it was that I was exactly creating. It was kind of like a trial and error. And so it was perfect. I was on market, like I said, for two months, and I stripped everything down. Um, and then I went back to the drawing board and really thought about the intent behind this line. And that's when I came out with the name Range Beauty, and I relaunched a whole year and some change later. Completely different products, completely different branding. And I did it the correct way made sure it was trademarked. Um, and that's when I launched as Range Beauty. Wow. That was a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Serious journey. <laughs> so did you still have a job when you launched Skinny Dip and then took that break to relaunch it? Yeah. So I packed up everything that I had in New York and I moved to Atlanta. So when I was living in New York, you know, New York lifestyle, even though I had really nice paying fashion jobs, it was just not enough for me to put aside and start a dream, make a brand at all. Like there was no flexibility to do that with my time, with my money, my energy at all. And so I actually Googled top places for black entrepreneurs to move to. And this list came up, I feel like it was Yahoo or like a Yahoo list, or I don't even remember, but it was um, top places for black women to start businesses in Atlanta was number one. And so I was like, okay, so I packed up everything and I moved to Atlanta and um, with the intent of, I knew I wasn't going to find a job in fashion. Like that was basically the sacrifice I was making. Atlanta is not a fashion capital. It's not known for anything in that industry, really. Um, 
And so I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a job in fashion like I had in New York. And so I honestly just took whatever job hired me, which was um, an HR department at a startup uh, tech firm here in Atlanta. And I took it knowing this is literally going to pay my bills and pay whatever I need to in order to start range and then allow me to put whatever else I need into savings. Those were the three conditions of this job. And so um, when I launched Skinny Dip, I was still at my nine to five. When I relaunched range, I was still at my nine to five. So I moved here in 2015 and I started working. I, I think it was like I was here for a month without a job. I picked up this job. I started working. I stayed at this job, literally a promotion every year, but I stayed at the same company because I didn't care. I, was like, I didn't even care to look anywhere else because I'm like, it's temporary. Like, I don't care if it's three years in, it's still temporary. Um, and so I was there for four years. So I quit my job in December of 2019 and I took range on full time in 2020 and I've been doing it full time since then. Wow, that's crazy. That's huge. Okay, so when you, <laughs> when you um, relaunched Range or relaunched as Range Beauty, mm-hmm. did you see like a really good response right away or did it take a minute to get the momentum back? Because you said it was a year and a half gap, right? Right. So the, the smart thing I will say that I did was even before I launched Skinny Dip and even when I was relaunching Range, I maintained our Instagram and our Twitter pages. So yeah, okay. that's what I always tell people to do is like, even if you haven't launched yet, or if you're in the middle of a rebrand or relaunch, like still maintain your presence in some way, whether it's a launch page with a waiting list, your Instagram, your Twitter, TikTok now, but I still maintained um, our Instagram and Twitter with like inspo images. I still maintained it with actual behind the scene, like images of building the brand. And so when we relaunched as range, um, the packaging was completely different, obviously, and our logo and everything was completely different. And I took this one picture of all of the different shades of like the deeper shades lined up. And I took a picture and I posted it on our Twitter and our Instagram. And the account, her name today, I think it's the same. It's Makeup for Women of Color. Mm -hmm. Um, I forget her first name, but she was really big on Twitter when I did that. And she picked it up. And it was during a time when a lot of brands were, a lot of makeup brands were launching these foundation, concealer, whatever ranges. And it was always stopping, like, at tan. And so people were always in the comments complaining. It was just a huge thing going on. And so I remember I posted that picture and she picked it up and she retweeted it and she was like, now this is what you call range. And she, and that went viral. And like it, it just went crazy. It did stupid numbers and it upped our Twitter following and upped our uh, Instagram following It upped our engagement, our exposure, our orders, everything like that. Um, and so that was really huge for me to be mindful of, okay, this is how, you know, like content sells before it became like, I know we're in the age now of content, content, content. But back then when it's like, you weren't used to seeing our skin tones represented, you weren't used to seeing it represented, especially in makeup by indie brands, of course, by the, the legacy brands, you might be seeing it, but by new brands and indie brands and young brands, you weren't seeing it. And so that was really how I maintained our presence. Just even if we didn't have it ready to sell, I was still just like making sure we post, I was posting um, pictures like that, that were showing off our range, showing off what we were offering and making sure that people knew that it was black as well oh no that is so cool um because yeah I definitely remember that time period 
And especially during that time, things like could take off on Twitter. And then that's just like the one thing you need to get everything going. So, um, and I think I do remember that tweet. Like everybody was just like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, and I'm like, it's so crazy. Cause when I look at it, it was like, I think that was like four label iterations ago. We've gone through like four different logos and packaging changes since then. So to see it, I'm like, oh, wow. But still, I'm like, the shade range is still there. It's still the same, our our same like legacy colors. So, but yeah, she definitely, she definitely helped us get a lot of exposure. Would you say that tweet started the momentum for the business? Or would you say there was other things that you did to help build the momentum and get you know, clients and get your name out there even more. Yeah, I think that tweet was huge. I think the second thing that was huge was when I did a pitch competition um, that was hosted by Jackie Ina, who is obviously a huge YouTube beauty mogul um, with such a great following. So when she started posting about the pitch competition and that we were involved, um, that definitely got us a lot of exposure. And that was, I launched in August, 2018, And I did the pitch competition, I think that was March of 2019. Um, And it was a $5,000 pitch competition. They flew us to LA. They put us in this like beautiful mansion and they basically did a documentary style of myself and the other contestants getting ready for this pitch competition. And she posted it on her channel. And that absolutely gave us so much more traction and just a lot more eyes on us because she is such a authority figure in the beauty industry, especially when it comes to deeper shades. Um, so it was as if we were like, okay, done. And just followed over to our page and, you know, started purchasing. So I would say that was another big one for us. Um, we also also got picked up by this publication called Beauty Independent, who picked up that same image that was retweeted. Uh, they wrote an article about us featuring that image as well. And so it just it kind of everything was happening very much at the same time and rolling into the next thing. And it really kept our momentum rolling. I love that. So you was that the first pitch competition you did? Because I know like after that, I remember seeing you doing like pitch competitions all the time. And was that something like when you did you start doing more pitch competitions because of that competition or was that just something you'd already been doing? So that was actually my second pitch competition. So like I said, we launched August 2018. Again, the power of of building up your Instagram presence. I was contacted by Target. I believe it was September or October of 2018. Um, by a buyer in beauty who wanted to meet with me and do a line review. When I met with her, that's when I realized the money that I was getting from my nine to five wasn't going to be enough to scale this into an actual company. Again, mind you, I didn't know what I was building, but once Target reached out, I was like, you knew it was going to be big. (laughs) Okay. We're like, Target has eyes on this. Like that's crazy. And I knew that I needed to start putting practices into place where I could actually have an influx of capital to help support what I was building. So that's when I applied for my pitch competition through Ariane Simone, who now is co-founder of the VC firm here in Atlanta, Fearless Fund. Uh, So she at the time was, she was doing this by herself. And she held a pitch competition and it was here at Spank. So I made it through the first round where I could actually like they reviewed my application and they were like, okay, we want you to come pitch at Spanx. And so I got there and it there were so many women, like it was over a hundred 
women of color, black women. Um, they're also like ready to pitch and all this. So it was pre- that was my first pitch competition. And um, I walked in and you were taken off into separate rooms with like a judge. Then you would have to pass that to make it to the stage. And then from the stage, they would pick the finalist. And so I was in the room with my judge who I, it's so crazy because I literally just saw her at Essence. And every time we bump into each other, we're like, this is, do you you know what happened after that moment? Mm -hmm. So I was in the room with her. I do my pitch. Cool. She's like, that was a phenomenal pitch. I love your energy. I loved what you were saying. She was like, but the only thing was I didn't hear you say what makes your brand different. And mind you, by this time, Fenty had launched. So saying that you had shade range was kind of not enough at this point. Because, you know, she launched and then now all of these other brands are like, oh, we're coming out with a shade extension. Now we also have 50 shades. And now we also. So saying that, like, I was coming from the standpoint of clean and I was coming from the standpoint of shade range. And she was like, okay, but what else? You have to talk about what else sets you apart. And I was like, oh, well, like, I I use ingredients that are, you know, good for your eczema and acne. And she's like, why do you even say that? And I'm like, I don't know. And she's like, okay, that's something that you should put into your pitch. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And so I walked out of the room. And then um, before the other ladies went on stage, like the finalists were announced on stage, they had these sessions in between where we got to hear from Sarah Blakely, the owner of Sphinx, where we got to hear from um, the owner of Mayel Organics. We got to hear from the founder of Urban Skin Rx. And so then they announced the finalists. And, you know, I heard I heard them read, the, it was like five names. And after that, we got another break. And I saw my judge. I went over to her and I was just like, can you tell me, I was like, if you don't mind, can I just grab your ear one more time? Can you just tell me what it is like exactly that you're, you're meaning when you say it enough? And she's like, you told me afterwards that you created this because of your acne and eczema. You need to make sure that you're filling your pitch with facts about that. You're filling your pitch about who suffers from acne and eczema, that you're talking about the ingredients and how beneficial they are. Like, really talk about what makes you different. And I was like, okay. And that's when I really, really, really went to the drawing board and pushed forward who we were. So instead of, we started off clean beauty for the forgotten shades, and then we evolved into acne and eczema centered makeup for the forgotten shades. And I feel like once we did that, then our, like a whole world opened for me. Um, And that's when I started just applying and just kind of clearing these checks, to be honest, winning competitions, um, winning through applications. And to date, I've raised over $500,000 through um, pitching and through grant competitions. Yes. (laughs) That that deserves a slow clap. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Wow. How did you prep for pitch competitions and like how did you get yourself together, your team together in order to present and give what you thought at least was a good pitch until, you know, of course you get your feedback while you're at the pitch competition? Yeah. So I've always been a natural um, public speaker since I was like as young as I can remember. I loved getting up and presenting things in class. I always loved like, making sure my speeches were together, coming across that I know what I'm talking about. So that was the easy part. Um, the hard part was knowing what was too much information, what was the right information, because like I said, I didn't have a background in beauty. So I was like, what do people actually want to hear about? Um, and that's where it came into play. I was an avid viewer of Shark Tank. So uh, me and my dad were like super fans of Shark Tank. I would always watch Shark Tank. 
and I would watch how people were on there pitching their brands there with where their like taglines, what were their things that were making the judges go like, oh, or making them laugh, catching their attention, making them be like, okay, you really came in here, you really know your stuff. So I kind of studied that as I was watching and I went onto Google again, Google is my best friend. I went onto Google and I searched, um, uh, I wanted to find like, what are the questions that are asked on Shark Tank? And there was this blog that had from season like one up into whatever season it was when I Googled a list of every single question the sharks have ever asked um, through these episodes. And I went through and I started answering as much as I could because we were still, I was still early. So as best as I could, I would go through and I would answer each question. Once I received more information, I would go through until I was able to complete the entire list. And then I would study it. I kept it in my phone. I kept it written down. I kept it on my computer. And so I had like the fun, um, like the fun, like catch all, I guess, part of the pitch down. And then it was just incorporating these facts, incorporating my numbers, incorporating um, market stats, incorporating our audience stats, all of that, and making it blend together. Um, and that's, I, I survived pretty long with like the pitch that I originally came up with. And then I think the next best thing was in 2020, I was accepted into Target Takeoff Beauty, um, an accelerator that Target does. It's a four week long accelerator. And it takes you behind the scenes of how to get ready to have your brand in Target. And part of that is a pitch competition. And so you come in, there's like pitch sessions with your peers and with leaders at Target uh, for you to help refine your pitch. And then you presented, you pitched to all of Target. You pitched to every single executive. You pitched to every single employee. They literally filled a conference room with everyone. And you get up, get up on stage, you do your presentation, you pitch. And I think that definitely super helped me. Like doing these live pitches like that really helped me refine. And for me, it was the less questions the judges had. That's when I knew I'm like, okay, this is like a foolproof. Mm -hmm. When I first started, like when I did Spanx and I lost, um, even when I did Jackie Ina's pitch competition there were still a lot of questions from them I won but there were still a lot of questions my third pitch competition was at Facebook headquarters the judges had lots of questions I lost but I made it to the stage I made it a step further than the than the first fearless one um, and then I did a live pitch competition in Atlanta um, it was the essence target holiday market we were vending and then I was also on the stage pitching and um, I think the judges had like two questions and so I won during that one. Um, and then when I did the one for Target, I think the judge, I think only one judge had a question. I was like, okay. okay. So that was kind of how I basically, I'm like, if there's lots of questions, that means you didn't really do your job too well. Um, and so that's honestly how I did it. And fast forward. So I'm the solo founder of Range. I don't have a partner on Shark Tank. My cousin appeared with me. She's my operations manager. Okay. Um, and so that was challenging trying to get her into my mind because I can write a pitch the night before and have it memorized for the next day. And she's like, I don't learn like that. I don't know. Da, da, da. So that was challenging. But any other time I know my baby so I can just talk about it like at the drop of a dime. Yeah. Okay. So that's the key. If you're listening to this, make sure... <laughs> That people don't have questions when you're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. See, and I tell everyone who, like, because I meet so many founders who are just like, oh, I hate talking. Like, I, how do you do that? I hate, I hate. And I'm like, just start talking. Like, first, I always tell people, start pitching to yourself in the mirror. 
because I feel like we are pretty much our hardest critics. So if you're pitching to yourself in the mirror and you're like, this sounds so stupid. No, that's like, I need to fix this or da, da, da. Start off doing that, then go off to like friends and family. Then ask your friends or your family to bring someone that like bring someone they know, but that you don't know. So it's a stranger to you. And then start like pitching so that you're starting to get more and more comfortable with pitching in front of people. Um, And then just like build your way up. That's how I tell people to do it. No, I love that. No, yeah. Okay. So with, um, I do have to ask this because I know everyone asks you this, but I just have to for our listeners, just in case they don't know the answer. How do you go about finding pitch competitions? (laughs) (laughs) yes so for me it started off so before I got into grants and pitch competitions heavily I went the route of trying to find an investor um so I had investors who reached out to me I reached out to investors and got meetings but I was so early in my traction um and then I think that combined with who I was meeting with, I was meeting with predominantly white male owned VCs who like, as soon as we got on zoom, I was just like, they're not going to get this at all. This is going to be a waste of time. Um, and it would be. So then I, that's when I had to pivot and I was like, okay, let's look at actual funds that are created for people like me. So let's look at funds for black owned um, businesses. Let's look at funds for women owned businesses. And again, got on Google and I started searching for grants um, for black women owned businesses. And it would just pull up list after list after list. Um, and then I just started going and I found if they had an Instagram page, I would follow their Instagram page. If they had a newsletter, I would sign up for their newsletter. And so one of the uh, funds that I started following new voices fund, they would send out a weekly newsletter that would have a list of all types of grants and accelerators and resources that you could tap into. And so I was really paying attention to them. I was paying attention to this other page called I fund women, which I want to grant through. Uh, they do the same thing. They send out emails. They post on their Instagram. They tweet about different funds going on that they themselves are hosting as well as that others are hosting. Fearless funds started getting into grants and pitch competitions. Like I just started following everyone that was on these lists of like, these are who consistently talk about free resources for black owned businesses um, and following those. And um to date, like even on my personal Instagram page, I'm constantly posting because there are so many resources for us, like this literally free money out here waiting to be given out to us. Um, and I hate like there's this I saw this stigma kind of going around yesterday. It was just like the pitch competitions, grant applications, they're so long. I'm just not even doing that to apply for money. And I'm like, you guys, these questions, some of these questions I've applied for grants where it's been five questions and just received a check. So I'm like, if that's your excuse for not getting free money, cool. There's more out here for us. But there's so many that are hosted by either Black-owned businesses that want to give to other Black-owned businesses, um, that want to give to women of color, that want to give to women, um, men as well. Obviously, I focus on uh, for women. But Um, There's so many resources. And then you're obviously seeing a lot of corporations getting into it now, too. Like Cartier just had a women's initiative that they did. General Mills does one. Um, We saw obviously saw like Glossier came out with their cohort. So it's like a lot more people are joining this wave of making sure that we're getting funded because we're we are building these amazing businesses. And I'm like, snatch up the snatch up the money, snatch up the mentorship, snatch up the advisory as much as you can. Yes. I don't understand why people, it's just like this, 
I think it's just being like we always call it like being simple minded, you know? Yeah. We gotta think of pride. Yeah, or pride. Prideful yeah. I don't wanna ask for a handout. I'm not filling yeah. out a form to ask them for Yes. Money. I can yes. do this by myself. When yeah. you cannot take the free money when it's out there for you. Right. Right. And I get so many DMs too. I'm like, people will DM ask me, do you, um, write, are you a grant writer? Do you know of any grant writers? And I'm like, guys, stop using grant writers. I'm like, you know your business. Why do you want someone to write a, write an application for you? And then it's going to come to the day where you need to speak about your business and you can't even answer simple questions. Like, learn about your business, create your story, craft it and curate it, and then start applying and practice, like keep practicing, keep practicing. Keep. It doesn't cost you anything to apply. So exactly. Like the great Kim yeah. said, no one wants to work anymore. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> the great <Kim. laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> well, now that you've won the ultimate pitch contest of Shark Tank, um, let us yeah. know how was that experience being on there? Were you nervous? Um, any of the ins and outs? Yeah, that was an incredible experience. It was, I think they, so they reached out to me in February of, of last year. So February, 2021. Um, and when they reached out, I thought it was spam because I was like, why would you want us? Oh, because honestly for me like the all I could remember I all I could remember was Melissa and the lip bar and I was like mm, why yeah. do y'all want us on here like okay but mm-hmm. I love I had always loved Shark Tank and in my mind I was like oh man I wish I had the opportunity to go on there like uh we would never be able to go on there because yeah, we don't have something that's considered Right, but I'm like Shark Tank. We're not considered like a Shark Tank brand. You know what I mean? Like food and cleaning supplies and household, like da da da. So I'm like, okay. They reached out and they told us how the process was going to go. So we started the process in February. We didn't actually get the green light to tape until July. Um, So it was a very long process. It was like another job, to be honest. We had weekly meetings. We met with producers. We met with directors. We had to, you know, refine our pitch, practice our pitch, get our set display together, make sure we did our due diligence with all of every single fact and number about our business. We had to provide everything about our background history. So it was a long process, um, but we had the best production team, fortunately. And they really, really, really pushed us and like supported us and got us ready. And so when we went in July, we were like, no, we're going to kill this. Because every step along the way, they're like, you're doing a great job. Just to remind you, this doesn't mean that you're actually going to film. And even if you do get to film, this doesn't mean that you're actually going to air. So they just like every step of the way, they tell you there's no guarantee that you are even going to air. Even if you get a deal, if you don't get a deal, like there's no guarantee. So um, our whole thing was like, okay, let's just go out there and let's just kill it. And so they asked, they were like, do you want to bring anyone with you? And I was like, yeah, like it would be so much fun. I feel like we could play off each other if I bring my cousin. So I asked her if she would do it. And she was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to bring my cousin, please. (laughs) She was like, I was like, yes, I'm going to bring my cousin. She's also my operations manager. And they just loved it because her name is Maisha. So instantly they were like, oh my God, Alicia and Maisha, it's already going to be good. And we're like, okay. (laughs) And so... 
when we went there, it was just interesting because we didn't know who our guest judge was going to be until I think it was two days before. Oh. Um, and that was only because we, with the makeup, we were like, oh, well, we want to make sure that we can give her shades. Like whoever the guest, guest judge is, we want to make sure we give them something that matches their skin tone. And they were like, okay. So they told us two days before. And when I found out it was Emma, I screamed like the like my producer told me. And so she's just like casually talking and she's just like, oh, wait, we didn't tell you who your guest shark is. And I was like, girl, you know, you didn't tell us. And she's like, oh, she's like, oh, it's Emma. Cree. And I was like, I screamed because I already knew her as the co-founder of Skims and Good American. And I already knew that she had invested in one of my founder friends, Red Beauty Supply, Mava, um, who sold in Sephora. And she's like killing it. And so I was like, oh, my God. No, we, we are taking her home. Like, we're not leaving the carpet. And so Emma gives us a deal. And so we walked out there. And it was just, it was pretty incredible. We were out there for close to two hours, oh. um, which was a lot longer, obviously, than what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And they really, they cut it down so well. But we were out there for close to two hours. And it was just a conversation. It was it was pretty much, like, just how we're sitting here. It was like that, going back and forth. Of course, you could tell, like, that they were you know, making it TV ready, kind of probably being fed some things, who knows. But um, we definitely still like, we just maintained our composure. We kept our energy up. We were able to deliver on every question and every single shark, even the ones who did not want to invest were like, I mean, you're incredible. It's just not for our portfolio, but we love what you're building. And we just think that there are other sharks here that are going to give you what you need. Um, And so when we landed two sharks, I was like, whoa, like this is going to be so huge for us. Like I already knew this is going to change a lot of things for us. And then I think when it became like we were the first black woman owned makeup brand to secure a deal that just like blew things out of the water. So that's That's crazy. That's (laughs) so to even, I mean, which we say this all the time about everything, but just the fact that we're still saying, the first black owned whatever. Right. It's just like Shark Tank has been on how long? And you so. guys are the first one. That's crazy. Which you should be so crazy. proud of. But it's just like yeah. it took this long. That's crazy. I know. I think it was I think we're on like season, what is this, 13, 14? Yeah. So practically 14 years until that is crazy. Crazy. But I'm, finally, somebody did it. Yeah. So. <laughs> you. <laughs> so what is it like working? Okay, so you, okay. Tell, well, one, who were the two sharks that um, you, picked you that picked you? Because you ended up going with one of them, right? Yes. So Lori and Emma decided to go in on a deal together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we decided to move forward with Emma. And we just thought it was, well, I thought um, it was very important to me to maintain a cap table that truly believed in what we were building. Um, Hopefully I can maintain a cap table that is majority women of color, black women. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was really key to me. And I think just the kind of differences between Lori and Emma and who was closer to the ground, it was definitely Emma. I think her seat on the 15% pledge board is really, really, really instrumental in in the kind of journey and the path that we see for range. Um, the retailers that we want to be with, um, the resources that we want to tap into, she just gets it. 
Yeah. And it's not anything that's forced. It's not anything that has to be taught. She just understands. Um, and she is just so humble and genuine. Like literally me and her text, me and her FaceTime, hop on the phone. Like she'll check in, I'll check in. And she just makes it very easy. Um, and, and has kind of like, I mean, to me, I was fangirling over her. Like, what the heck? I was fangirling. The first time that we FaceTimed, I was just like sweating profusely. And I was like, oh my God, I have to keep the camera like up here because my armpits, I'm sweating because I cannot believe that I am on FaceTime with this woman. And she's just being so chill with her beautiful accent and like da da da. And so I think once that kind of wore away and I'm like, she's a businesswoman, she's a mom, she's a wife, she's uh, an amazing friend, like all of these things. And it just like, I, I hate to say like humanized, but it just brought her more down to earth for me. Yeah. And it's like, at the end of the day, we both just want to see range win. And so I just feel so blessed. I'm like, I just feel so blessed. Like I was literally on a pitch with a retailer, a major retailer yesterday. And we were talking and she's like, oh my God, we just sit in the office and we're like, oh, we just love Emma. We just like really love Emma. And I'm like, oh yeah. And she's on my cat table. Like that's pretty badass. <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty cool. No, she seems great. She seems yeah. awesome. So I know you said that you're the sole owner of Range Beauty, but now I'm pretty sure you have like a team of people. What does your team look like and how do you delegate and how's that all set up? Yeah, so we're honestly still a pretty small team. Um, I only have one full-time person who is Maisha, my operations manager. She helps with supply chain. She helps with fulfillment. Um, she helps with inventory issues. Um, and then we have Naila, who is my brand manager. And she came to us from um, marketing and influencer marketing from Sephora. Um, and so she's been instrumental in securing us amazing brand partnerships, like we were able to do um, the makeup sponsorship for Hanifa uh, fashion show last year. We were able to do makeup sponsorship for Issa Rae's um, Hooray, like DC rollout. Um, so she's been really, really great at securing um, not just influencer and brand partnerships for range, but also brand partnerships for me as an entrepreneur, which has been really cool. Um, and then we have our email marketing team. We have social um, and customer service, and that's it. Okay. And then we have our 3PL, our warehouse here in Atlanta too. Nice. So do you, so you're, are you outsourcing like the social media and stuff like that? Or is it like in-house? Yes. Okay. Everything is outsourced except for Naila and Maisha. I think that makes it actually pretty easy. As someone that used to have a team of full-time employees, I feel like that is actually a great way to go. And I'm glad that you said that because I think a lot of times when people um, see someone like you, you're on TV, you're doing all these things, they feel like you just have to have this huge company. But I really love that you keep it small because yeah. expenses add up quick. <laughs> payroll is expensive. When I see the breakdown of just even our payroll with like who we have, even through contractors, I'm like, wow, I can't imagine if we, once we have actual full-time people, like we were looking at salaries for, um, once we raise our next round, we want to bring in, um, like chief of marketing and looking at those salaries, what and I'm like this is why people don't understand the importance of funding because thinking about like how you're going to pay yourself pay your team 
handle all the overhead and scale without outside funding. It's just you have to be doing insane numbers on your own. Like your customer base has to be so incredibly solid for you to be able to do like, oh, well, we're already doing, you know, $5 million in revenue and we're able to make a profit of X amount. So we can just put that towards, you know, our, our staff and whatever else. I'm like, unless you're in that unicorn position, if you're just a company that's like grossing six figures a year, you're not going to be able to sustain an actual staff right. off of your revenue alone. It's just, I mean, if you do, please email me, DM me. I would love to know how. But otherwise, I'm like, no, that's why outside funding is so important for us because otherwise, yeah, it is tough. But it is nice because that's how I was feeling. I was feeling a little, oh, my gosh, like everybody else out here has these huge teams. And I meet these founders who actually have investors and they're like, oh, we're still looking for like full-time people. It's still just the five of us. And I'm like, okay, cool. So you know what I mean? It takes a while, especially because it's so hard to find good hires in these Mm -hmm. positions. Um, So it takes a while to to really build up your staff anyways. But that's why I'm like, do not waste money on payroll. Like really avoid that if you can. And don't be afraid. Like Trinity of gold um, which is like the matcha brand supplement brand. Um, she started off like she was the youngest person. I think the youngest black person to sell at Sephora, I believe it was. Um, but she sold by Sephora, sold in Target. And we did a chat together for Yelp and she was like, Oh, I still write all of our Instagram captions. Cause it's just what I enjoy doing. And it's like, there are going to be things that you can't be afraid. Oh, I'm the CEO and I missed that. Like, I'm not supposed to be doing that. No, like you're going to be wearing 20 hats for a long time. Not by, I mean, like, don't force yourself to, if you're able to bring on help, please bring on help. But also don't feel like your ego is too big for you to also work these other jobs. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for making that point. Cause I'm yeah. sure there's so many people that needed yeah. to hear that. And I feel like a yeah. lot of people don't under no one will understand your brand the way you understand it. So it's fine. Oh, absolutely. And understand the heart of your brand and have the passion that you have for your brand because you can bring on other people. They can probably do their job, but they're not going to have the passion behind it the way you do to make it come across the right way too. Absolutely. I think especially if you're putting out brands where you're the quote unquote face of the brand, like for the longest, I didn't want anyone to know who was running. When I first launched Skinny Dip, I didn't want anyone to know that it was me. I didn't want anyone to know that it was me behind range. And then it was just like, but I created this because of problems that I'm dealing with. So why not? And we can see the difference. So many people are like the posts that we post where it's you you know, creating content, like putting on your makeup or coming up with like, what is your eczema relief and like all this stuff, those perform so much better because people want to see you, people want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, people want to feel like, oh, this, there's a human behind this brand. Um, and so it's like, even, I mean, for me, I don't know why I love creating content for my personal pages. When it comes to the brand pages, I hate creating content. I don't know why, but I do it because I know that's what needs to happen. Um, And then of course, you know, we're supported by UGC and we're supported by everything else, but I still know I need to be able to show my face and pop in here and there and actually show myself using the products too. It's just comes with a job, especially if you're the face. It absolutely does. Yeah. So what would you say is like the most challenging thing that you've had to um, figure out like while you've been on this journey? I think the most challenging thing has absolutely been funding. So 
I talk about this so much. Without grants, we would not be where we are today, for sure. Um, without Fearless Fund taking a chance on us and becoming our first investor, uh, we would not be where we are because the investment world is just, it's a dirty world, to be honest, and it's a biased world. And no matter how much traction you're able to prove how like I'll come and I'm like, oh yeah, we're on target.com and this is how long our customer list is. And here's our repeat customer number. And here's, we're clearing six figures every year and we're doing da da da. And you'll still get a look to me. It's like, it's just, it just feels too early. And I just, and I'm like, yeah. How? What? How? You know? Right. And it's so funny. It's like a running joke behind, like, between us because, you know, some brands are like, oh, we usually write checks when companies are consistently at one, 1. 1.5 million. And I'm like, do you think if I'm consistently doing 1.5 million, I would probably be talking to you? Probably right. not. I don't, I don't think I would be here in the seat right now asking right. for what I'm asking for. So that's been the trickiest thing is just not having your worth diluted um and 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 just knowing yourself and knowing what you're building that's been a big thing for me it's just like when i receive no's that are hard no's not even no's where i'm like trying to turn it into a yes where it's a dead ass no um receiving that and just holding on like keeping my feet to the ground just like knowing who i am like okay that's fine like yeah. I was on Shark Tank. You really can't tell me much now. You really can't tell me much. Like, I was on Shark Tank and I landed two sharks. Like, you really can't tell me much that's going to disrupt my mentality. You know what I mean? Right. So those two things kind of went hand, hand in hand. Like, making sure that I maintained my mental state, making sure that I didn't let outside forces, outside people, like, break me, break what I was doing. Um, and then just trying to find the right partners who were going to come in with the capital I need um, and also be a strategic partner to help us grow to where we want to grow. I love, I love that you were able to actually do that. You know, like, I think, like you said, no one can tell you anything. You've been on Shark Tank. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that is that. And I feel like so many people I talk to, it's just like when we pick out something that's happened, like, I know when myself and a lot of other founders, we were featured on Beyonce.com during like 2020 when they did the Black Parade. And honestly, that was the first time that I think I was like, excuse me, try to talk bad about me. No worries. Like, I dare you. Are you on Beyonce.com? You're not. So it was just like, these things happen. And so when you get these no's, you have this long list, though, of validating moments. And it's just like, you just have to keep running back into that instead of letting these no's. Because I was at a point where I would be like, you told me this person straight out said no. There wasn't even, let's circle back. It was just no, never not going to happen. And it just felt so soul crushing. Because like I said, it's your baby. So it feels like someone's just talking bad about your child, you know, and then talking and in turn talking bad about you and how you raised your child. So I think getting rid of that mentality and just like, are you doing this? You're not. Okay. So moving on. Um, that's like the biggest thing I can tell you. I'm like, don't get tripped up. Like it's so hard to start a business off that. Like that's just, that's a hard part. So don't get tripped up by people who haven't even visualized or fathom starting their own business. They're just the people that technically have the money to give you, but they don't even know what goes into getting to where we are. So I'm like, you know, take it to the side. 
It's clearly your confidence and everything that's gotten you this far, taking those no's and like taking them with a grain of salt of like, okay, it kind of hurts, but whatever, I'm going to keep going. Yeah. You know, you know. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I think it's like a two ended thing because obviously don't be so like, oh, you can't even receive feedback. I love feedback. I love criticism. I love advice. Um, But when it comes to something where it's just like, if you're flat out trying to tell me, oh, there's no validity behind what you've built, that's when I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you so much. Right. And they probably weren't even meant for you in the end. So it doesn't exactly. Okay. Someone else exactly. will acknowledge everything I'm worth and, and take care of. Absolutely. Yeah. So what do you see going forward uh, for you to accomplish with Range Beauty? Oh, gosh. Yeah, we have a lot ahead of us that I'm excited about. So right now we are raising our Series A of 3.5 million um, that we're hoping to close by end of year, which is really cool um, because I'm just excited. This is what we've been able to do, basically bootstrapping and with very few funding when you think about the funding that other beauty businesses especially receive. Um, This is what we've been able to create so far, and that's pretty that's pretty big. So now going after and being able to have the money to put behind the things that we really need to scale this into a full-fledged business, that's exciting. Um, especially with Emma at the helm is just, I think it's going to be major for us. Um, right now we are talking with retailers to hopefully have our first retailer in spring of next year. Um, so right now we're on target.com. But this will be our first in-store retailer, which is very exciting. Um, We are also launching our Range Impact Fund this year. I wanted to create a fund that gave back. And this is for um, people in the black and brown community who don't have access to dermatologists. Um, We are providing them with pro bono services to dermatologists across the U.S. And we're also covering any medication or skincare essentials that they need. Uh, And this will be for people who have presenting skin conditions like eczema, uh, psoriasis, rosacea, acne, um, who otherwise would not be able to see a dermatologist. And that's because we are the least likely to have the resources to see one. And then on top of that, we are the most misdiagnosed when we do go to a dermatologist, um, just because skin conditions present differently on deeper skin tones than on others. Um, So I'm really excited about that. And we'll be launching that during Eczema Awareness Month this year in October. Um, And then I think that's it. Just continuing to build. (laughs) Continuing to build. That's it. Just, you know, five amazing things. Yeah. I'm like, we're just getting into really how to, I guess, cultivate our community, which has been very exciting because it's been such a huge priority of mine. And I didn't want to do it with gimmicks and I didn't want to do it with things that didn't make sense. I really wanted to be authentic and true to the brand. And so, you know, we've done little things like last month we launched our Wealthy Skin Club, um, which is our loyalty program um, through our website. We've started a new brand ambassador program, which is kind of an elevated experience from our last one. So our Beauty Rangers ambassador program, Um, just really making sure that we're, like I said, elevating and creating our community and making sure that people with skin conditions feel like they have a place within the makeup industry. I love Love that. Yeah. So number one, I'm going to plan a bunch of celebrations for when you get into the retailers and then when, for when you um, finish your fundraising for your 1.5 mil. And then I want to hear about when you are finally going to do a program for how to get funding. 
Oh, yes. So, oh my gosh, this actually came from an amazing conversation I had with this beautiful lady down here right here because for so long, people have been asking me to put together a course. Can you put together a course about grants? Can you put together a course about pitching? And for so long, I was just like, I post free information all the time on my Instagram. Just go to those. Like, I don't feel like I need to put together anything paid because I didn't learn from anything paid. I just use my free resources. Um, and then I started getting really heavily into speaking engagements. And um, at first it just started speaking engagements then it became paid speaking engagements. Um, and I was like, oh, people are actually like excited to hear about this. Okay. Yeah. And people were, would DM me and find me after these speaking engagements, email me. And I'm like, okay. So I finally put together, I think I, I think it launched last month now or two months ago. I launched my um, getting to these grants course. And so I <laughs> launched, it's a three module like mini course that breaks down how to create your brand story, uh, how to correctly tell your story, then how to apply to grants and where to find grants. Um, and then on top of that, I also launched like templates that help you curate your brand story um, and also arrange all of your information so that when it comes time to apply for grants, you just have one spreadsheet that has everything already filled in for you on it. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that as like a high tier. The course is 255 and then I did the templates package as 30. Um, and so it's been nice to see the response. And I'm really glad that I did the $30 offer as well because I'm like, I just want it to be accessible to as many people as possible. I know that not everybody has 255 even with the payment plan. So this way, at least you're getting the templates. But then when people ask me questions about the templates, I'm like, sorry, you will learn more through the course. <laughs> but um, so <laughs> it's been cool. It's been cool kind of having this, I guess, second income, second wave of like paid speaking and my courses as kind of a segment of range. But it's now over on my personal side. It's been really cool seeing how they kind of flow together. So. I'm so yeah. proud of you and I'm so excited that you finally did it because this is a thing because I know somebody listening is going to agree with your first statement about, well, I learned for free. So why not just, you know, yeah. else do that? But everyone does not think like you and they don't know what to look up and everyone is not as detailed resourceful. and resourceful and observant yes. like you. And you did the due diligence of learning and being and paying attention when you're in those spaces taking in information, asking the right questions to all these different people that you were in front of. And so there's going to be a lot of people that are, don't have the courage to ask these questions. They don't know what to ask. They don't know where to look. They don't know what to what Google. To Google. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know what to ask Google. <laughs> yeah, so. Um, hold on. But I like how you See, they threw this in at the end after <laughs> Donnie asked you versus when we asked like, well, what? I honestly I forgot. <laughs> I'm just over here dying. I'm like, well, you have everything and there laid out for you. <laughs> but see, these are all the things that Donnie said to me across the dinner table one night that made me be like, okay, yeah, I guess I should We're do waiting. it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, okay, that makes sense now that you put it like that. Okay. But I'll you were such something. an action taker because you literally got it out within like a month of views. I did. <laughs> yeah. I did because I was like, okay. <laughs> It just I was sense. like, it did make sense. And I, when I was doing these speaking engagements, a lot of times they were virtual and I would have to create a presentation. And I'm like, 
I could just make these into an actual, like flesh out whatever I don't need, put in what I do need, and just create this into a course. And I'm like, oh. you're saying the same yeah. stuff over and over and over. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And then it was easy because I was able to just, I got on Zoom and I'm just sitting there talking to myself as I'm going through the sides. And I recorded that as like our webinar. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that was easy. I could do That's that. Weird, right? <laughs> so where yeah. can people find this if they want to grab it and purchase it? Yes. So I have both of these linked in my Instagram bio at alicia.aesalicia, period, A-E-S. And I have them linked in my bio. You can do either the templates option or you can do the course. And through the course, I say that within um, 14 days, you should be able to confidently pitch your brand um, and that it will help absolutely um, increase your chances of receiving a grant. Um, and then with the templates, again, you can find that linked through my bio as well. Love it. Okay. So <laughs> last question to wrap things up. This is my favorite question to ask. What does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? Ooh, to me being a wealthy woman, I say, it's kind of going hand in hand with what it means to me to be an entrepreneur. It's like we're reclaiming our worth. And I say that because it's like a lot of times, especially with black women, we've kind of been put into these roles, like these supporting roles. Mm -hmm. And I think being a wealthy woman, we're a leader and we're in these leading roles. We have people who are following our word, who are looking up to our word, who are believing and valuing our words. Um, and just we're reclaiming our worth. We're reestablishing how worthy and deserving we are, whether we're building a brand or not, um, just about our place in the society and, and how much that means to everyone else around us. I love that. that. Yeah. That was thank good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank Thanks, you guys. so much for being on the show, Alicia. So where can people find you on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you are, where can they find you? Yes. So for the brand, we are everything under range beauty, R-A-N-G-E beauty. And um, that's our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, on TikTok. We are the real range beauty. And then on Instagram, my personal Instagram, alicia.aes and my personal TikTok, alicia.aes. And you can shop our beautiful products on rangebeauty.com and on target.com. Yay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. This was so fun. It's like just a fun conversation. Yes. We loved having you. Okay. I'm so glad it worked out. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>